You know, a person can be right at the very gate of heaven and die and go to hell. Don't be part of those who will forever populate hell because they failed to love God. Have you found Christ as your Savior? Do you really know Him? Can you really with honesty say, yes, I love God. He saved me. He died for me. He is my Savior. I know Him. He lives in me. I'm trusting in Him. You know, there are a lot of people and they're living for all kinds of things, but when it comes to these two things, I would have to say that is what life is all about. Loving God and loving others. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles today and turn to the Gospel of Mark in the 12th chapter. Mark chapter 12, we've been following the life of Christ through this Gospel, and we're down to His final week before going to the cross. Actually, final days, final hours. He's encountered some opposition on his way to the cross, of course, and he's tied him in knots. The Pharisees had some kind of a thing with the Herodians, and they thought they'd ensnare Christ with it, and it didn't work. And then the Sadducees came along, and they were going to try and tie up Christ as far as the resurrection goes, and he tied them in knots. Well, with that as a backdrop, we pick it up here in Mark chapter 12, and beginning in verse number 28, the Bible says, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. You know, we find here a tremendous question and a tremendous answer, and it's really what life is all about. That's what we're going to be talking about today. What is life all about? Let's pray before we begin. Our Father, we come before Thee now. We thank You for this, this book and this passage and this time, and we pray that You'd bless it in a special way, and Father, You'd speak to our hearts, and Father, whatever spiritual needs we have in our midst are from those listening. We pray that they would be met. We ask all this now. In Jesus' name, amen. Back about the time of uh, the Revolution, there lived a man by the name of Thomas Paine. Some of you have heard of him. He was a, well, he is an infidel. He is an agnostic. He was an atheist. He had no time for God. He was continually trying to debunk the Bible and Christianity. 
He lived in New Jersey at the time, and he was walking down his street one day, and, and he encountered a fellow by the name of Dr. Stoughton, who was pretty well known there in the city as a, a Christian. And they began to talk, and, and as they talked, uh, Payne brought up, he said, you know, what a pity that there's not some rule and there's not some standard for humanity to follow. And Dr. Stoughton said, oh, there, there is. And Payne said, there is? He said, well, yes. He said, first of all, thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. And secondly, you should love your neighbor as yourself. He said, boy, if, if we did that, that would alleviate a lot of problems, wouldn't it? And Thomas Payne looked at the doctor and he said, oh, that's in that Bible of yours, isn't it? And he just turned on his heel and he walked away. He wanted nothing to do with it. The famous infidel rejected, really, what life is all about. You know, this is the foundation of Christianity, and this is, this is really the, the characteristics of the very nature of being Christian people, is loving God and loving others. We read in the great love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, it says in thir- verse 13, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, which is love, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. The greatest is love. Now, we've talked about Christ over the last few weeks here, tying in knots, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the, the Sadducees. And, and while that was going on, somebody was listening. You never know who's listening, by the way. There was somebody listening. It was a scribe, and he was tuned in. And so we're going to take a look at what he had to ask and what Christ had to say, the response back, and then what Christ finally said about it all. We see, first of all, what I call the scribe's challenge. The scribe's challenge in verse 28 It says, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, What is the first commandment of all? Here's a scribe. And by the way, back before Gutenberg invented the famous press in 1440, all they could do to get one copy of something to the next generation was to do it by hand. I mean, going back to the beginning of time, this is how they did it. They had to copy out all books. In fact, we were in Israel a couple months ago, and we saw the Dead Sea Scrolls that were copied out by the Essenes out there in the region of the the area of Qumran and and, uh, and Gedi. And and they go back 2,000 years ago. Imagine that. Somebody 2,000 years ago took quill in hand and copied out the Word of God. And, and, and there were scribes back in the time of Christ. There were scribes before then. Even Ezra, remember, was a ready scribe in the book of God. And, and we find here the scribes had a very important job. And that was to, to make copies of the Bible so that it would be preserved. At age 13, they would leave home. They would go to Jerusalem. They would enter this rabbi school where they would study until they were age 30. Imagine 17 years of studying the Bible and learning how to, to uh, copy it. And they were, they were famous men. They were noted men. They were called lawyers in other places. The scribes had very good titles. And, and everybody knew who they were because every day they handled the Word of God. Imagine every day, day after day, copying the Word of God. You know, what's more odd to me is imagine every day writing out the Word of God and it not rubbing off on you. Enough to where you see the plan of salvation, you see the Messiah in the Old Old Testament pages, and you never recognize Him. You never embrace Him. This man was lost. He had never come to a saving knowledge of Christ, a scribe no less. Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
That's the reason we read our Bibles. That's the reason we come to church. There's a, a power in the Word of God. It's a catalyst that triggers something in the heart of a person who's lost in order to bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And may you keep your heart open. May I keep my heart open as we listen to the Word of God preached and taught because God will do something in our lives if we, if we do. Now, this scribe knew the Old Testament. I mean, he, he probably had it close to memorized after copying it over and over again. And the Bible tells us that this scribe overheard the conversation between Jesus and the Sadducees. And remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They only believed in the Pentateuch. They didn't believe you could find an afterlife in the Pentateuch. Christ pointed it out to them right there in the burning bush in the deal with Moses. And the scribe hears that and he goes, you know, I've copied that many times. I never caught that. And, and the Bible says he perceived that Jesus Christ had answered him well. Now, we find this same account given over in the Gospel of Matthew. And in Matthew twenty-two thirty-five, it says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him. Very important that we catch that. This guy was not apparently sincere at the outset. He's going to be that by the time he's done. But when he first approaches Christ here, he comes to tempt him. He has a question, and apparently it got answered in such a way that he had a change of heart. Good for him. Now, notice in verse 28, it says, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, here's the question, which is the first commandment of all? Here's the scribe's challenge. What is the first commandment? And he doesn't mean by first in order, you know, the first of ten. Actually, there were 613 commandments. And leave it to the Jews to have them all counted out. They were found in the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. And by the way, the greatest figure in Jewish history was Moses. He was a hero to the Jewish people. He was the one who spoke to God face to face, who got the oracles from God, gave them to the people. Moses was huge in the eyes of the Jewish people. And he gave them the law or the Pentateuch or the Torah and in that, those first five books of the Bible, you find 613 laws. Now, I've never counted them out, but that's what I read, and that's what they had at that time. And, and the, the importance of these 613 laws was always being debated. And leave it to the Jews. They're, no, this one's the most important. No, that one's the most important. It was always being debated. They had taken those 613 laws and even divided them into two categories. There were 248 positive ones. There were 365 negative ones. Leave it to the Jews. Again, they're, they're sifting through these things. And these laws uh, were, were dealing with the Sabbath. And some Jews thought, well, that's the most important one. Others uh, dealt with attire and dress. And they thought, well, that's the most important one. Others would deal with, with tithing, and they thought, well, that's most important. Others were dietary. Others were ceremonial. Others were feast days and purification and morality. And they have all these, these things divided out. And they had even divided them to the, the heavy laws and the light laws. And, and the, um, the heavy law list was getting shorter all the time. Because they found out we can't keep those. We'll put them over in this category. They're heavy laws. They're beyond us to keep. And uh, we'll follow these light laws. They're less binding. And so here's the Jewish people. They're always wrangling over these 613 laws. Now you can see why it was on this, this scribe's mind. 
What's the most important one? I mean, we've divided them up into the two categories here and two categories there, and these are heavy and these are, are less. Remember in Matthew 20 when, or 23, when Jesus Christ was rebuking the Pharisees, and he said this. In verse 23, he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye paid tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. And that was the Jewish people. Oh, they, their, their stick and, and this crowd was tithing and they'd, they'd, they'd tithe on a penny or a half a penny and, and, and they would overlook the important things. And Christ points that out to them here. And so this guy comes along and in verse 28 he says, what's the greatest commandment? What's the first commandment? We see the scribes challenged. But secondly, we see the solemn comeback. In verse 29, the Bible says, and Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, if you understand anything about the Jewish people and the Old Testament they cherished at that time, they had a section of the Bible that was the jewel of the Old Testament. It was found back in in Deuteronomy 6. And I'm telling you, they said it every single day. They quoted it. Deuteronomy 6 to us, verses 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. You know what this was called? It was called the Shema, S-H-E-M-A, the Shema. And they would quote it every single day. And literally it meant Jehovah our God is one Jehovah. And that was important to the Jewish people. You see, all the other nations worshipped this this multiplicity of of gods, this plurality of gods. They worshipped many gods. And this doctrine right here was what separated the Jewish people from all the heathen nations, the Philistines and the Ammonites and all those other nations. They all worshipped many gods. I was in uh, Athens, Greece here a few years ago, and I got to go up on Mars Hill where, where uh, I think it was Acts 17, where Paul went up there, and he encountered the big brains, the, the Greeks, you know, the, the Athenians who were up there debating, and, and uh, he said, you know, when I walked up this hill today, I noticed all these monuments to all these gods. Here were the Greeks who worshipped intellect and they were still dumb enough to have all these gods. And by the way, you can stand on Mars Hill today and you can still see the ancient temples that Paul would have been looking out at. And it, it served as such a backdrop and a visual aid for him to go into the fact there's one God. There's one God. The whole world at that time believed in, in many gods. But the Jewish people, they recited this every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. In fact, uh, they had something to remind them to recite it at least twice a day. You know, there's something that I pray every morning as soon as I get up, and there's something that I pray just before I go to bed. And that's what the Jewish people would do at the least with the Shema. Because the very next verse says, And thou shalt talk of them, these statutes, when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. I mean, if you at least remember to quote this as you're going to bed and as you're getting up, you'll say it at least twice a day. But they'd do it all day. And all day long they would, they would quote the Shema because they were a people that was prone to idolatry. 
And, and they got into idolatry later on. In fact, we can laugh and go, boy, that's silly to worship these wooden objects and so on. But we have an idolatry problem in America, don't we? We have a real idolatry problem. We have a number of gods. It, it can be money. It can be sex. It can be materialistic things. It can be sports. It can be booze. It can be whatever. But whatever you put or I put ahead of God is an idol. We find this over in Exodus 34, 14. For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. God wants all of us. So we find here in verse number 29, Jesus said, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Notice verse 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Somebody so well said that love to God secures all blessings. That's worth saying again. Love to God secures all blessings. We live in a nation where we think pleasure does. Uh, Whatever uh, feels good. Whatever pleases me, that's a blessing. No, love to God secures all blessings. And Christ here tells us in verse 30, we're to love God with all our strength. Stop and think about that. With all your strength. Do I love God with all my strength? Do you love God with all your strength? You know, we're told in Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, Do it with thy might. Do it with thy might. Give it everything you've got. Do it with thy might. We read in Psalm 103, 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Do we love God with all our strength, with all that is within us, with all our might? That's a sobering question. I reflected on that this last week. How much do we really love God? Christ says this is the first commandment at the end of verse number 30, but that's not all. In verse 31, he goes on and and he says, And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. We are to love other people. Do we really love people? (laughs) Boy, that's a good question. We can act like we do. We can talk like we do. But did you know that is a commandment in the Bible to love others? There was a preacher. I think his name was Dalton Smith at the time. It was back in the uh, circuit riding days. And he was a famous preacher. He rode a horse from place to place. And he got caught in a storm one night. And he he pulled into this this farmyard on this dark, eerie night. And he he knocked on the door. And and the the fella came to the door with a a gun in hand, just to be sure. And the preacher said, could I seek refuge here? I'm, I'm, I'm Dalton Smith. And the guy went, oh, really? I don't believe you. He said, uh, prove it. And, and the preacher said, well, how do you want me to prove it? And the guy saw it, he thought and he said, um, I know, Dalton Smith would know the Ten Commandments. So quote the Ten Commandments. Dalton Smith started quoting off the Ten Commandments. This is the Eighth, this is the Ninth, this is the Tenth. And he goes, this is the Eleventh. And the guy said, stop, I know you're a fake now. There's only Ten Commandments. Dalton Smith said, no, he quoted this. In John 13, 34, Christ said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. He said, oh, I never thought of that. You must be the preacher. Come on in, you know. 
You know, we forget, but the Bible says, Christ said, a new commandment give I unto you, that you love one another. That's not really a new commandment, by the way. It, it, it actually went back 1,500 years before the time Christ said it. In Leviticus 19.18, it says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Christ knew that commandment. Christ quoted that commandment to the scribe here. Years later, Paul would quote it. In Galatians 5.14, he said, For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You can sum up everything in the Old Testament and boil it down to this, love your neighbor as yourself. Do we really do that, honestly? Do we really love people? I mean, that's the standard God picked. And I think it's one we can understand. Do we really love everybody else the way we love ourselves? Many years ago when slavery was rampant in, in West India, there was a, a, a missionary to India who had tried to get into the people who were in bondage and in slavery there to reach them with, with the gospel. And there's no way you could do it. They were, they were uh, locked down. They were in captivity. And he went back to England. He was preaching about his burden for the people there. And, and there were two young men there that night that heard about these poor people in slavery in West India who went forward and they said, we'll go. And the missionary said, well, you can't. These, these people are in slavery. Nobody can, can reach them. They said, we will give ourselves to slavery. And we will toil alongside of them. And we'll take the lash along with them, whatever it takes to get the gospel to them. And they went. And they did just that. And they lived the rest of their time in slavery. And the, the, the people there in the slavery saw their heart and saw their sacrifice. And, and multitudes of them came to a saving knowledge of Christ because they really loved others as they did themselves. Do we? Do we? You know, I, I find at times I'm so far off. I don't know about you. But there is a, a, a golden rule, we call it, that Christ summed up in Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And that's what we're talking about here. What is the greatest command here? We find here there's a uh, challenge from the scribe, the scribe's challenge. We see the solemn comeback. Thirdly, we see this sincere contemplation. In verse number 32, And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but He. The scribe comes back, and the wheels are turning now. He'd come tempting him at first, but something had touched his heart. And now he's musing on it, he's thinking about it, and he's saying, you know, you said well, Master. You spoke the truth. And then he starts kind of rehearsing it back. Here's, here's God in the flesh listening to this piece of clay try to enlighten him. But notice again in verse number 32, the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. He said there's only one God. You know what floors me is this man was talking to him. <laughs> I wonder if he realized he was talking to the creator of the universe. There is one God. Yep. And he's talking to him at that time the Lord Jesus Christ. We find in Malachi 2.10, it says, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? There is one God. 
He created us. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, He is the Lord Jesus Christ. As we pass through life, don't forget that. God help us not to forget that. There is one God. He created us. He has a reason for us being here. It's not about the money. It's not about the pleasure. It's not about self. It's for His glory and His honor. In verse 32, he says, There is one God and there is none other but He. Is that true in our lives? You know, it's possible for even Christian people to have some gods in their life, small g gods, some things that we put ahead of the Lord. Now, in verse 33, he goes on. The scribe says, And to love Him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love His neighbor as Himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. The wheels are turning here. You've got to read between the lines. He's, he's beginning to figure out. It's beginning to click. This scribe knew nothing but external worship. His life was about sacrificing sheep and, and, and ceremonies and holy days and rituals and, and tradition and, and, and dietary laws. All he had was an external relationship with God. Like some here maybe. Like most out there, for sure. That's all they have is this external relationship. It's all rules. It's no relationship. That's all the scribe knew. All these laws, all this stuff. Like most, he was looking for something beyond that. You know, there are people today, they're looking for, uh, let me just call it a religious feeling. They, they know they're not connected to God. They know something's missing. They know there's a black hole in their heart and they're throwing everything they can in there from the world and it's not filling it. And they're trying to find God. Trying to find God. All this scribe knew was a bunch of law here. No relationship. That's not what God wants, by the way. We read in Hosea 6 and verse 6, God says, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. God says, I want a relationship with you. Okay, the offerings are fine, but that's not what it's all about. And then he talks about loving his neighbor as himself. Again, he repeats what Christ had said, which is a good barometer. If we want to really know whether we love somebody, compare them to how we love ourselves. Because selfishness is the mother of all sins. It really is. There was a secretary of state in the state of Illinois years ago who had a a problem as they introduced vanity license plates. They got over a, a thousand requests for the license plates number one. Number one. Everybody wanted to drive around with number one on the back. And Powell, I think, was the name of the Secretary of State, said, I don't know what to do. He said, oh, okay, this is what I'll do. I'll just take number one. <laughs> and he did and drove around with number one on his license. But we have this issue with self-love, don't we? Number one. Self-preservation, self-coddling, self-pampering. And Christ comes along and he says, love others like you do yourself. We see the scribe's challenge, the solemn comeback, the sincere contemplation, and finally we see the Savior's commendation. In verse number 34, the Bible says, And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. Notice Christ saw that he answered discreetly. Notice the word discreetly in verse 34. It means honestly. 
It means sincerely. And, and that's kind of to be noted because <laughs> there were a lot of smart alecks who came up and asked questions, weren't they? There was always somebody trying to trip up Christ. But this guy answered discreetly. He, he was candid. He was sincere in his inquiry. And we find now that Christ is going to give him a commendation for that. He didn't do that for everybody. When the Pharisees and the scribes and that, that crowd came to trip him up, he would say, you're, you're snakes, you're vipers, and he'd called Herod a fox. And he knew if somebody wasn't sincere. But if, if it was a woman taken in adultery, if it was a Nic- Nicodemus, if it was a Zacchaeus, if it was a, a, a woman at the well, and they were sincere, he, he admired that. He answered them discreetly. So originally, this guy had been a skeptic. He'd come tempting him. Apparently, he has a change of heart. And he's, he's open now. And Christ says to him in verse 34, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. You ever notice that? I have dealt with, with a multitude of people over the years on the issue of salvation. And they're at different stages of coming to Christ. Some not at all. Others kind of halfway there, if you will. There's really no gauge. And then there are others, and boy, you talk to them, and, and it's just like it, it doesn't quite click, but they're so close. And I think of this passage every time. They're not far from the kingdom of God. The wheels are turning. God has a timing in it all. And I don't know if you often reflect back on how you got saved, but I, I understand it much more now than I did before I got saved, and I've reviewed it over and over again in my mind and replayed it and marveled at what was going on at the time that I didn't even realize. This scribe had studied the Torah for 17 years. He had studied the Old Testament for 17 years. He handled the Bible and wrote out the Bible more than most of us. Will ever. I, I mean, he knew the 613 laws. He meticulously studied them, meticulously sacrificed his animals, kept his feast days, his ceremonial laws, and so on. And he, he knew the Old Testament, and yet he probably never caught this. Psalm 51, 16. The psalmist says to God, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. That's what God wants. Somebody who has come to the end of themselves, realize they're a sinner, they're lost, they're on the road to hell, they cannot work their way to heaven by their good works, and they're broken, they're humble. And apparently, this scribe had been, as of late, musing on that, mulling over that kind of thing, and perhaps he had been following Christ around a little bit and overhearing some of the things that Christ was saying. Maybe he even heard this in Matthew nine thirteen, where Christ said, But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. What does Christ mean by that? Well, a self-righteous person is not ready to be saved. If you see yourself as not so bad and not as bad as other people and, you know, your, your good works will get you to heaven, you're not even ready to be saved. You're not even qualified to be saved. You're not even close to the kingdom of God. Because Christ said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And you would say, well, then the righteous don't need it. No. The Bible says in another place, there's none righteous. No, not one, right? And, and until we see ourselves as not righteous, in violation of God's commandments, we're not going to see our need to be saved. Now, here's this man. 
He's at a crossroad, obviously. He's, he's beginning to, to think, and it's beginning to click, and he's at a crossroad. He's got a decision to make. We saw the rich young ruler there already, didn't we? But the rich young ruler died on the operating table spiritually, didn't he? His money got in the way. What will get in this man's way? I don't know, but the scribe's at a crossroad here. Is he going to let position get in the way and titles get in the way and intelligence get in the way and, and the respect and religion and all this other stuff that gets in the way with people? I know a lot of people who die and go out into a Christless eternity because of a false religion or a, a sin in their life they want to hang on to, whatever it might be. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're listening and you've never truly been born again. You're not far from the kingdom of God. You know some things. You know something's missing. But you've never been truly saved. May may today be the day when you realize your works won't get you to heaven. Your baptism won't get you to heaven. Taking communion won't get you to heaven. You realize you're lost and you cannot save yourself. There's none righteous, no, not one. You're willing to turn from the sin or change your mind about the sin or what the Bible calls repent. And you're willing to turn to Christ and trust what he did on Calvary's cross as the only thing to save you. Plus nothing, minus nothing. Well, in verse 34 at the end it says, And no man after that durst ask him any question." He had silenced the Pharisees, he had silenced the Sadducees, he had silenced the Herodians, he had silenced the Sanhedrin, and now the scribe, and he's cleaning out the rat's nest, really, (laughs) and he's finally gotten to where the debate is closed. There's no more argument, they're completely silenced, he's completely the victor, they are no match for him, they're out of his league, and nobody dares to ask him any question. But he tells this man, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. I'll never forget when I wasn't far from the kingdom of God. I'll never forget March 5th, 1981, when I lifted up my head out of the spiritual mud and looked toward heaven, and it finally dawned on me. It was so simple. But you know, the devil has inoculated most people from getting it. They're they're sitting right on top of it. They're so close, and yet they have never grasped it. They have a ton of religion but not an ounce of salvation. Or they're, they're uh, involved in, in new evangelicalism, which uses a lot of terminology, but is so watered down. I mean, it can even be a Baptist church, and, and there are folks that grow up in Baptist churches, inoculated from getting saved. They've embraced the culture, but they've never found Christ. There's a difference. Here's a scribe. He knew the law, but he missed the Messiah. All those years, and he had missed the Messiah. What's the purpose of the law? Well, Galatians 3.24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. In other words, the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots given in the Bible are given to show us we, we can't keep them. I mean, you can do the best you can. You can't stop lusting. You can't stop being angry or bitter or, or uh, coveting or, or, or lying or whatever it might be. And and, and you realize, good grief, I can't get to heaven by keeping the law. No, you can't. The law was simply our teacher to show us how hopeless and helpless we are when it comes to keeping it so that we would come to Christ. We would realize what he did on the cross is what saved us. So the, the 613 laws are not given for us to try and get to heaven through. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, 
there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Just to show us what sin is and what sinners we are. Now, what came of this scribe? I don't know. I uh, hope he got saved later on, maybe on Pentecost. But uh, what about us? The bigger question is, do I love God? Do you love God? Do we know God? We find in 1 Kings 3 and verse 3 that Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Solomon was a saved man, but his love grew cold, didn't it? And maybe I'm talking to a Christian today, and your love has grown cold. How can you love the Lord? Well, to know Him is to love Him. You've heard the old expression. And we heard a sermon recently about that I may know Him. How well do we really know Him? How well do we spend time with Him in His Word? How about serving Him? Do we serve Him? That'll help us to love Him. How about obey Him? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. How about investing in him in some way with our time and our treasure and our talent. Christ had this to say in Matthew 6, verse 21. He said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, whatever you invest in or pour yourself into, put time into, uh, care about, whatever it might be, your heart will follow. Where your treasure is, there will your heart follow. If you've spent years raising children, you don't have to make yourself love them. You've made quite an investment in them. If you've spent time in this church and poured yourself into it, you're going to love it because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I remember years ago when we were, our, when our, we were in our first little church building, there was this, this uh, single mom who was coming and had a little, little girl that came with her, a daughter. And she lived with a guy who at the time would, would beat her regularly. She was working a job. The guy she lived with didn't work a job. Uh, she was trying to raise her daughter right. The guy she was living with was doing drugs. She got pregnant by him, and, and uh, he was mad and, and was kicking her in the stomach and, and, and doing all this horrible stuff. And, and I sat across the desk from her, and I said, why do you stay with this guy? She started crying. She said, I love him. I, I just love him. I thought to myself, this would seem so backwards, wouldn't it? This guy has been so mean to her. He doesn't care a whit about her. And she has just done everything for him, and she loves him. But really, that's the way it works. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Whatever you pour yourself into, you naturally love. Your heart follows. And that's why she cared about him, and he cared nothing for her. If you want to love God, start investing in him, spending time with him, serving him, obeying him. Invest. Now, second question is, how do we love others? How do we love others? That's, that's the other part of this dual commandment here. Well, we, we find a connection, actually, in 1 John 4.20. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And so there is a connection between our love for God and our love for others. We read in 1 John 3.17, it says, But whoso hath this world's good... And seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We're going to love others if we repent of our selfishness and our self-centeredness and we serve others. You know, love is really the cure for sin toward others. And 
And uh, we won't sin against others. We won't injure others if we genuinely love them. The reason there's this tit-for-tat attitude so often or these attacks that go on is there's a deficit of love in the heart of God's people. Help us, God. Well, finally, this business about being close to the kingdom of God. If you are here today and you are not saved, have you been thinking about this very thing? Making Christ your Lord and Savior. Are you close to the kingdom of God? And you, you might say, well, yes, I'm close. Well, that's fine. But it's not there yet. There was a vessel years ago called the Royal Charter that it, it, it navigated the whole globe, starting in England and going around the world, and it, it survived bad weather. And it was coming back. It was in the vicinity of the UK. It was right outside of Wales, and it was sunk in a storm. There was a minister that was given the unenviable task of bringing word to the wife of the first officer her husband had drowned. And when he told her the news, she, she clutched his, his wrist and screamed and said, so near to home and yet lost. So near to home and yet lost. You know, a person can be right at the very gate of heaven and die and go to hell. And so if thou art not far from the kingdom of God, don't be part of those who will forever populate hell because they failed to love God. Have you found Christ as your Savior? Do you really know Him? Can you really with honesty say, yes, I love God. He saved me. He died for me. He is my Savior. I know Him. He lives in me. I'm trusting in Him. You know, there are a lot of people and they're living for all kinds of things, but when it comes to these two things, I would have to say that is what life is all about. Loving God and loving others. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.